up my dudettes. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast recording live today. Actually inside today. I've got people outside cutting the grass, so cannot enjoy my uh, my wonderful sunshine while recording this. I'm going to be confined to the home office, which it's okay. We'll make it work. You cannot take the smile and the shine off of today for me because we're recording this on a Wednesday which is July 29th. We have two days left in July and there is not anyone who could rain on my parade today because we are now 24 hours away from the resumption of the NBA season. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge basketball fan, a huge NBA fan, more specifically a huge Houston Rockets fan. My Rockets take the floor on Friday, taking on the Dallas Mavericks. It'll be an eight-game sprint until the postseason. And then when the postseason begins, all the madness will begin. The NBA bubble is working. There have been zero positive tests recorded uh, in the last several weeks. Uh, So their bubble is working. They're about to showcase the fruits of their labors uh, to the public and have two games tomorrow and then a whole slew of games on Friday and then Full steam ahead after that, so I'm so excited. We'll talk about that in our sports segment. We're going to do things a little bit differently today. I'm only going to have one call-in guest today. The show may be a little bit shorter today than what it has been. We've been getting into the ballpark of two-hour shows, um, which is, is great, but it then limits my content that I have to talk about on the weekend show. So we're going to kind of reel back in a little bit, trim down a little bit, and um, focus more on uh, you know, shortening up a little bit so that we could uh, you know, get back to our routine of two shows per week. Um, so we have one calling guest today, a friend of mine, a wonderful independent wrestler, Mustang Mike Beetle. Um, Mustang Mike and I talk about um, the world of professional wrestling and, and where things are headed with the pandemic and you know, when those guys on the indie scene will be able to get back to action. But then he also tells us his career story, wrestling without fans, um, some of the things that go into being a good professional wrestler. It's a good interview. You guys are going to enjoy it. went about 20 plus minutes, about 25 minutes. So we talked to Mustang Mike Beetle about that. And then we're going to change things up a little bit. We're going to alter our format a little bit. You guys love our Q&As. Um, I'm going to take a bunch, a bunch of questions. We're going to turn that into its own segment. So do a little introduction segment here, kind of set the stage for the show. Then we're going to go to Mustang Mike. Then we're going to do a Axe Casey segment where we're going to take a bunch of questions about a bunch of different things going on in the world of sports. Uh, then take a final break. And then we're going to talk about things going on in the world of sports, give a brief synopsis of things going on in COVID-19. Uh, though I suspect the COVID part is going to be very short compared to previous updates because a lot of the questions are about COVID. So we're going to cover a lot of COVID-related things in the Q&A part of the show. So we look forward to answering all of those questions. If you have a question in the future, um, just clarkcasey at gmail.com is the place to go. Find me on social media, Twitter, at Casey underscore just Claire, Casey just Claire on Facebook. Um, I'm very interactive. If you guys have questions, I'll answer them. Um, if you comment with a question under my, any of my statuses, I usually answer them there. Uh, but we got a lot of questions that were duplicates and and people asking the same question a couple of times. So we'll take some of those and, uh, get deep into the, the the data, so to speak, and, and give our opinions on some of these things. 
And then in the final segment, that's when we're going to dive into the sports. We're going to talk about the NBA reopening. So exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about um, high school athletics and, and you know some of the latest we're hearing there. We're going to talk about the MLB. There's a lot of drama. The Astros and the Dodgers you know, almost fought yesterday. There's a breakout of COVID with the Miami Marlins. We'll talk about that and some other things that are going on. Um, you know me, we're going to end talking some wrestling. That's just part of you know the identity of the show. Heck, we've got a professional wrestler on as a calling guest today. So we'll talk about that, all that and more. You know, we'll, we'll continue to dive in. Then we do our betting blitz where I'm going to pick our next two over-under lines for the NFL. Um, and then I'm also going to give my PGA Tour picks uh, as we're going to get this out before Thursday. So that we're grateful for that. We're going to actually be able to get our PGA Tour picks for this week. And then even some bonus uh, betting blitz content. I'm going to pick um, the two NBA games tomorrow. I'm going to take a look at those, and we're going to pick those against the spread uh, and try to see how we could fare now that you know sports are back in action and we're so very excited to have a lot of things on TV, a lot of things to watch, and life is slowly getting back to normal. Some good news. We are in the process of lining up some very big guests on the show, some guests that... Um, we're going to very much enjoy talking to and some guests that um, I think people are going to really want to listen to. We've got a commitment from LHSAA Executive Director Eddie Bonine. He's going to be on the Casey's Corner podcast in the coming episodes. We're trying to line him up. He's going to talk about the plan to reopen athletics within the LHSAA. That's something that everybody's interested in, everybody's talking about. We're going to talk to Mr. Bonine about that. I've got a commitment from former WWE star James Ellsworth. You remember, every man with two hands has a fighting chance. James Ellsworth is going to be coming on the Casey's Corner podcast. We've got a commitment from him. And um, working on just whatever we could do to keep you guys entertained, to keep you guys informed. Whatever it is that we've got to do, we're going to do it. Um, and, you know, we're, that's our full commitment uh, is to, to make sure that everybody's passing a good time and everybody's doing and uh, enjoying themselves while listening to this podcast. Before we catch our first commercial break and go to Mustang Mike Beetle, a uh, reminder, find us on iTunes, subscribe, um, give us a five-star rating if you like the show. Uh, that, again, is not, you know, an ego boost to me. It's not something that, that I, uh, you know, I look at my, how many you know ratings I receive and I pat myself on the back. That's, that's really not what it's about. It's about uh, showing up higher in the library if you guys like our show and give it a good rating and subscribe it's going to show up higher in the library so similar sports fans are going to then be able to see the show in their libraries when they're looking and we're going to be able to uh, create a very fun very innovative very interactive little sports community here um, where we're going to be LeFou strong and we're going to be able to um, get a lot of information out and have a lot of fun. And that's certainly the goal uh, throughout the fall as we continue to get closer and closer to um, getting some things back and reopen and getting life a little bit back to normal. So let's catch a quick commercial break. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us in the next segment, Mustang Mike Beetle. It's a fun interview. You guys are going to enjoy it right here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Guess what, guys? We have another exciting announcement to make about some of the wonderful ways that we're going to be serving our public going forward here at the Lafouche Gazette. Beginning this fall, we're going to be launching our Generation Next series, which is going to be highlighting some of the amazing young men and women who are in our Lafouche Parish school system. 
These are going to be young men and women who are in school clubs and are succeeding in the classrooms and are doing everything possible to establish themselves as the next leaders in our community. Our Generation Next series is going to involve your help. We need your help in the community to make this happen. So if you've got any student that you would like to recommend, if you've got any student that you'd like to nominate, send them to me, please. Just Blair Casey at gmail.com. G-I-S-C-L-A-I-R-C-A-S-E-Y at gmail.com. Together, we're going to shine a spotlight on these amazing young men and women and give them the recognition that they deserve. We are LeFou Strong. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFouchGazette.com. Joining us now, a longtime independent wrestler, uh, Mustang Mike Beetle. Mike, uh, good afternoon, man. How are you? Hey, Casey. How's it going, bud? Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, sir. Uh, slow time in the world. Not a whole lot going on. Things are ramping back up a little bit. Um, what are some of the things you're hearing in terms of, you know, when wrestling may be allowed? I guess one of the things I don't know is, is you know, what phase you guys are in or, you know, I guess what's the profit margin for when you guys would be able to start running some shows again? Well, everything as far as in wrestling kind of goes state to state, just like it is with all the phases, with different things, depending on how things are opening back up. Uh, Louisiana is an interesting state because we're governed by a state boxing and wrestling commission, which means we have a basically a authority that uh, governs us and counsels us on all of our events. Um, so basically, um, since that being the case, you can't just basically go rent a building and put on an event and keep it under the capacity range, like say 50% of a capacity, we have to wait for the commission to give us some guidelines on when all the guys can group back together and we can put on shows. So we're kind of dead in the water right now because, uh, you know, according to Louisiana, we's, uh, there's no contact sports really happening. You know, it kind of sucks for everybody, especially to my understanding. I think high school football is pretty much on the, on the sideline right now, I believe. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and, I, when was the last time you wrestled, man? And, and I guess, you know, the, to kind of piggyback on that, did you have any idea in that last match that it was going to be your last match for a long, long time? Yeah, we was fortunate. I work, was working on a big show uh, down here in Bayou Vista. Uh, I had scheduled uh, the former NWA World Champion, Tim Storm, coming in. Basically a dream match to go to wrestle against a uh, former NWA World Champion. Uh, we tried to make make the match happen when I was the North American champion and bat the top two in the NWA face each other, and we could never get the schedules together. But uh, I ended up facing him in February, uh, the very last weekend in February, and uh, things were just starting to get talked about with the COVID. Um, so we really didn't know how hard it was going to hit us. And then we had a match the following weekend uh, in Assumption at the uh, high school, a fundraiser for them. And then that was basically when they started talking about uh, having some limitations and and uh, things on uh, events and up to 250. And at that point, it just basically hit us all of a sudden. It was like, no, there's no more, no more live events and uh, no more, you know, groups of 
larger than 50 people. So it put us dead in the water since basically March the, I believe, 8th was our last event. How much do you miss it, man? This has been a part of your life for a long, long time now. And, and to not be able to have it and to not be able to know when it's going to come back, I'm sure it's, it's, it's pulling at you a little bit. Oh, it's, it's, it's definitely a strange time. Uh, you know, everybody's uh, hurting in their own way with things they can't do, things they enjoy. Uh, wrestling being 25 years plus of my uh, history behind me, uh, to be able to go from basically turning down bookings to go all over the country, you know, because I couldn't fit them in, in with my schedule, uh, to wrestling probably 40 to 45 times a year to now basically going on uh five months and no wrestling is is a is a is a shocker you know so it 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 sucks for all the wrestling community i mean even the big companies wwe and all of those they're having a you know they at least they have the the money to but to keep their production going but of course you know on the independent level we rely on the sponsors we rely on the fans and everybody to better come out and support us and the economy just isn't where it is and then so we basically, uh, with our restrictions, just dead in the water. So it's uh, just have to find something else to keep yourself going and look toward forward to something opening up for us in the future, you know. But uh, we pretty much uh, understand that it's probably going to screw us up for the end of the year, and we're just going to hope to start off a fresh year in January and get back going and have all this under under control. Very good, and I guess kind of looking on a bright side of things, um, you guys get beat up, and then have you had any opportunities here to kind of you know rest and recover some old nagging injuries that you wouldn't have otherwise you know had a chance to heal up? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, basically, uh, when you go weekend after weekend after weekend, you know, banging on the body, and you got aches and knees and back and little tears and things that happen in the wrestling business. It gives us, give me plenty of time to heal up. Uh, I've been hitting the gym and staying in shape with that. Um, so basically, well, I'm ready to go right now. I mean, a lot of people sat around and didn't do anything and probably got more out of shape with not having a reason to be in front of the crowd. But I took the time to work on some things and strengthen up some body parts that were giving me some problems. And, um, because the good thing about independent wrestling and it is a state to state thing, we have other states that are opening up with wrestling. So I've got some calls and want me to go wrestle in Georgia and Mississippi and Texas and different areas that, uh, you know, don't have a governing commission that, uh, kind of keep tabs on everybody. So, uh, I've got some dates coming up, uh, toward before the end of the year, I believe in October that, uh, going to try to, make some shows and finish out the year. And then hopefully Louisiana will be up and running back in January because uh, we've missed out on some big events this year. Of course, you know, my Cajun heat that we have every July is our big super show that we have almost a thousand people. And that was just uh, last weekend that that was supposed to take place. And it's kind of a somber weekend to know that uh, you was looking forward to being basically our WrestleMania of uh of Gulf State wrestling and we had to just basically watch it go by and not do anything. So like I, I play golf. That's my hobby. But if I don't play golf for three, four months, the first time that I play when I get back I'm gonna be awful. So for a wrestler, sure. Like how do you how do you knock off that rust without, you know, having a bad performance in, in live fire, so to speak? Well, basically I'm I'm fortunate we have our own training facility. I have a building where we have our ring set up. And um, 
about six weeks ago when, you know, the numbers started coming down and people starting to get a little less worried about the contagion part of COVID. Obviously, it's still, you know, going on out there. But uh, we had several of the guys say, you know what, we're going to take our chances and come work out the ring. At least go to get the cardio part in, go hit the ropes, you know, take some falls, take some rolls, work on conditioning and stuff like that. And then a couple of guys who, um, you know, of course, everybody's taking a chance anytime you come in contact with somebody, but at least was able to get in the ring and roll around and take some bumps and work on some move sets and stuff like that. So um, we're lucky to have that luxury and have our uh, training facility. And we had just started taking in some new uh, wrestlers, well, wannabe wrestlers, guys to come in and start working out um, to come in. And uh, so we've, had to slow that down a little bit to make sure we're not jumping, jumping the gun on putting anybody with too much exposure. So, but yeah, at least for the future now, we do have our training facility back open again, golf state wrestling dojo. And, uh, of course, you know, I'm the head trainer along with, I've got several other guys who've been in the business 10 plus years that help work and work on the new guys that's wanting to become a professional wrestler. Tell us about your journey. I mean, I, I know from previous interviews some of the things that had motivated you, but for listeners who are hearing uh, you know, from you for the first time, when did you get started? What were some of the things that motivated you to get started? And tell us a little bit about some of the, the pathways that you've traveled, so to speak. Yeah, I guess probably I'm, I'm the uh, poster child for 90% of wrestlers who actually wrestling now. They grew up enjoying it watching it uh having their favorite guys that they wanted to cheer for and and seeing the entertainment value the physical value you know wanting to be on top of the world and um of course i grew up watching mid-south you know had all my favorites like the junkyard dog and um you know those guys you know dusty Rhodes, of course rick flair and all the guys that was prevalent making a name for themselves back in the day and uh watching it on TV and saying, you know, what would it like to be one day be a wrestler just like anybody else might in their field of craft, you know, football or basketball or whatever. But uh, I met a guy in 1994. Um, he's gone now, Bronco Bob. Um, he introduced me. I met him uh, by a mutual friend and met him and uh, went to a show, independent show they had at East Park Recreation at Homer. And uh watched some of the show, seen what was going on backstage. And then he said, Hey, what do you think about this? And I said, man, I want to, I want to train. And of course I started training through him and some other guys, some pioneers in the independent business who was at the time. Um, and, uh, started training and, uh, about three months into training, I was really lucked up. Uh, was at an event, ready to go there and just basically help out and work security for them. And, uh, they had a wrestler that, uh, end up having some trouble, car trouble getting there coming from like Baton Rouge and, uh, they were short a guy. And since I had already been training and working on everything and stuff, it was a tag team spot. Um, they just needed to feel one guy. So I basically got my first shot on accident, uh, November 19th, 1994. Um, had my first wrestling match at East Park Rec in Homa, Louisiana. So uh had to borrow some tights and boots and <laughs> from some guys because I had nothing prepared, you know. So uh come up with my name on the, on the spur of the moment, Mustang Mike. I wanted to keep my 
actual name and uh i actually tagged with bronco bob so that was my first match ever uh bronco bob and mustang mike the pony express so that's that's how mustang mike started and over 25 plus years now i've you know i've got away from the cowboys uh gimmick and things and stuff like that but everybody's known me as mustang so i just i uh, guess i evolved into the car and not the horse but uh it's just the personality the persona of mustang mike and 25 and a half years later we we still doing it so i'm i'm just uh of course i've been you know tinkering the idea of retirement you know and then walking away from it and just maybe still love being a part of shows and events and stuff like that by promoting but um, I'm still hanging with the guys that's half my age. So as long as I feel that I can still do it and still contribute and be at a, a high expectancy of what I'm doing in the ring and not be, um, you know, limited by my movements, then I'm going to keep doing it. So Take me back to that uh, day in the fall of 1994 where you're supposed to be a security guard. You're ending up in a tag team match. Talk me through what was going through your mind, because I'm sure if I had to guess, you were excited, but a little down, you were probably scared scared to death as well, a little bit. So talk us oh. through that that experience. Oh, yeah, like a deer in the headlights. I mean, you're talking <laughs> about something that you've seen on TV and seen the physicality of it, and to know that basically with limited training, I mean, basically probably five times of 45 minutes a session, so less probably four hours of actual physical training on working on move sets and sequences and stuff like that. I'm getting tossed into a live event in front of, you know, a couple hundred people um, that's expecting to see all the guys perform to the level which we're expected. And um, they came to me and they was like, Mike, look, we know this is tough. If you want to do it, you got the shot. And there was no way that with that type of opportunity, because who knows when that opportunity might have presented itself. Sure. So I said, you know, I'm not expected to be some veteran superstar that's going to go out there and look like a million bucks. But if I can go out there and hold my own, then this might be the start of something. And sure enough, you know, I went out there and, you know, did my thing. And of course, you know, I can remember before walking out the door, I was like, you know, not knowing what to expect because I mean, we've all done things where you, played in a basketball game or a football game or a softball game or anything of that sort and you're going out there and you're performing with the team or even if you got to come up and go up to bat as a baseball player it's not the magnitude to know that you're about to go out there in a physical combat you know uh in front of hundreds of people for the first time and then you you're giving off a persona of a, a character as well so um but yeah, I think what happened is that door opened and I walked outside and the people was cheering for me and I just basically got caught up in the moment and just basically uh, lived it from the first step out the door and haven't looked back. And of course, so experience, like anything, is what makes you better. And just over the years, I've dedicated to my craft and worked on my character and I've now built up the Boom Nation and got thousands of people across the country that follow me and and uh keep up with what i'm doing and been riding the ride with me that's awesome and the the big thing that everyone wants to talk about now is the, the shows that don't have any crowds and you know wwe's doing it AEW's doing it, and it, it feels like something's missing so from the perspective of a wrestler who's performed before you know before big crowds and who's performed before smaller crowds what are the differences and what are some of the things you guys in the ring 
um, are missing whenever those fans aren't in the stands? Well, like I said, about 80 to 90% of the guys who's wrestling now have all come from the level of smaller crowds. They've worked their way up from independent shows. Um, there's very limited guys who's just been cast right to the spotlight of working in front of thousands of people, you know, like Goldberg and Brock Lesnar and guys like that who is big athletes and they come from a big, uh, you know, namesake when they walked into the wrestling business. But about 90% of the guys have all come from shows where they've used to wrestle for probably as small as 25 to 30 people and maybe a max of 400 people. So a lot of those guys understand that, you know, it's about the performance in the ring and you just have to have the mindset to know that the show has to go on. But on the same level, it's always way more exciting to wrestle in front of a bigger crowd, that electricity in the air and you feel the aura and the, you know, that's going on and you feel the intensity coming off the crowd, whether they love you or hate you. And that's what really makes wrestling wrestling is the fans because you know, you got to have somebody to boo and you got to have somebody to cheer for. And that's what makes a match great. You know, you can do all the flips and flops all you want, but it's the fans that get involved to make the match really what it is where you feed off of their adrenaline as well. So for those guys, I give them credit because it takes a lot to better go out there and still perform and know that you're just looking at some cameras and, and a few prop people that's sitting on the side. And, but like I said, you know, the guys like WWE and AEW that's got contracts with TV, they just, they, the show has to go on. So, uh, I commend them for their effort to better go out there and perform, even though it's in, in front of a, just basically a dummy house uh, and not have the crowd. But I know I can speak for them very well and know that they miss it and, and they want that crowd to come back. And we're hoping that we can get to that point to where whatever it's going to take, masks or whatever the case, we, we got to get this, these people back enjoying some entertainment. You touched on something a minute ago that I want to ask you about, and this is my opinion, and tell me if you agree or you disagree. I feel like today... Um, the competitors on the mainstream level, mainstream level are far more athletic maybe than what we've seen, but I feel like there's not a whole lot of psychology in the matches. I feel like they're just doing acrobatics, and it's a contest to see who could do the most moves and the most flips, and I feel like there's not a lot of storytelling, and quite frankly, I think that's why today's mainstream product isn't as good as it used to be. Do you agree or disagree with that assessment? I do agree. Um, like I said, I came from the old school days when the guys, when I broke in, the guys were a lot tougher when, and even before my time, when you talk about going back into the eighties, you know, when you saw the guys just in a pair of black tights and boots and no knee pads and just doing regular grappling moves and, uh, you know, your biggest move was a body slam and, and a suplex and a lot of punching and kicking and stuff like that. It was, those guys were tough. I mean, you'd look at them nowadays and think, oh, that's just an old guy. That is just I could see him in a bar and take him outside and whip his ass. But it was a different category of guys back then. Wrestlers were wrestlers for a reason because they could actually wrestle. They could actually handle themselves, and they was tough as nails. And you see nowadays that, of course, wrestling has evolved into different things just like anything else. It's all when it comes down to TV ratings and media and stuff. You have a lot of the guys who are a lot smaller, um, do a lot more flips and flying because they want that something to catch the, the eye of everybody. But in the same token, when you're doing 20 moves 
in two minutes, you know, you don't give the fans a chance to react and absorb what's happening. Um, like I said, to become a part of the match and realize, oh, he's beating this guy's back up and he just, you know, now he's making a comeback and then he's fighting a sore back or whatever the case may be. It's, it's a product that's gone now, the psychology part. And, uh, but like I said, it's, we just adapt with the times and you, you'll see a lot of the other old school federations like NWA, um, you know, which I was a part of for a couple of years there. They're still more of the, more of the old school techno, uh, mentality of, you know, uh, old school wrestling and, and telling a storyline and, and, uh, making that happen. And you got the, I guess you have your ones that you could say more of anything is AEW and WWE. It's more about just the, the glam and the, the spotlight and the lights and the characters and, um, you know, to, so I think they've lost a lot of, in the transition in the last probably 15 years, which I'm not a fan of because I come from an older school mentality. But I've also, you know, learned how to adapt with the times as well. I'm not going to do any hurricanranas or anything <laughs> like that. But, but uh, you know, I've had to step up my game a little bit to to throw a little bit of pizzazz in some of the matches as well. But, uh, but yeah, old school back in the day, of course, you know, it's, it's – uh, just not anybody could just be a wrestler. Now you got guys that's 140 pounds out there looking like it's a, you know, a kid just jumped off the swing set and he's out there doing some acrobats in the ring. And, and, and it takes away from the reality of, of wrestling, in my opinion, you know? I hear you. And la- last question before we let you go. Uh, I've been doing this for 25 years, as you said, and you've worked with just a who's who of, of some of the best in the business. And, and we're talking the history of the business. Who are some of you know a handful of guys that whenever you got into that, to that ring, you're like, oh my God, I'm working with blank. Who are some of those guys? Well, I've worked with some big names. I mean, as of late, uh, not even a year and a half ago, I worked with MVP. Um, worked a match with him. Um, I've worked with uh, Road Warrior Animal. I've worked with uh, one of the toughest guys that I can even remember. And back in the day, I'm sure he was way tougher. But about 10 years ago, I met Hacksaw Jim Duggan for the first time. And I can remember even a guy that was in his late 40s at the time, the man was just so massive. He had the biggest hands and forearms and back, and he was just one of those old-school guys that I can think, man, in his 20s, he must have been a hell of a guy to to put his hands on you. But I've I've wrestled a bunch of them. Hide and right, I've wrestled uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine. Um, I've wrestled Carlito. I've wrestled Rhino. I've wrestled a ton of guys who's been in and out of the business for, for the longest time, uh, who's been, you know, in the, the spotlight for many years. And uh, I've learned a lot from them. A lot of those guys have taught me a lot uh, over the years. Uh, Rock and Roll Express, um, Midnight Express, uh, shoot all the way down to one man gang, Kamala, Junkyard Dog, Michael Hayes. I've I've been in locker rooms with with the who's who of wrestling, and um, and uh, I've just gained a lot of experience and respect for my craft over the years, and been very fortunate for the ride that I'm on, and trying to make it last a little bit longer. I'll make 26 years this coming November, so. Um, We'll see how long the ride's going to last, but right now the wheels are still turning and 
the keep changing the oil and keeping <laughs> the engine tuned up and <laughs> we're going to see how long we can go as long as i'm in the capacity where i'm not breaking down and got to keep myself in the shop <laughs> sounds like a winner brother well look thanks so much for the time and we're gonna do this again soon okay appreciate it thank y'all yes sir that's my pal Mustang Mike Beetle doing a great job as always. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to do something different. It's going to be called Ask Casey Anything. I've got a slew of questions from you guys. I'm going to take seven COVID questions. I'm going to take seven sports questions. And in the next half hour or so, hopefully you're going to be more informed and educated on some of the things that you have been wanting answers about in terms of coronavirus or in terms of the world of sports. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFouchegazette.com. We'll be right back after this break. Hey guys, I know it's a commercial break, but it's me again. But I want to tell you guys a big secret. I know how you guys could get the news in LaFouche Parish, the hottest news, all the things that all your friends and all your family members are talking about first before everyone else. How? By getting the LaFouche Gazette app. Go to your app store, get the LaFouche Gazette app today, You'll get push notifications right to your phone anytime anything breaks, anytime anything exciting happens, anytime there's anything going on in LaFouche Parish that people are talking about, we're going to be talking about it, and we're going to send it right to your phone. So go to the LaFouche Gazette app, find it on your app store today, download it, 100% free, 100% news, 100% local, 100% all the time. Download the LaFouche Gazette app today. We thank Mustang Mike Beetle for his time. It was a great interview. It's the Casey's Corner podcast at LaFoucheGazette.com. A reminder, um, I mean, all of our episodes are on the LaFouche Gazette website. All of our episodes are in the Apple um, iTunes library. Uh, I get asked all the time um, by people, you know, hey, how could I go back and catch your interview with BJ Young? Or how could I go back and listen to your interview with Jared Martin? Well, they're all archived. They're all online, so catch us there, and uh, you'd be able to listen to us talk to Mustang Mike anytime that you wish um, through the wonderful technology that we have to archive our episodes. So now we're going to move to our Axe Casey Anything segment. I've got seven questions about coronavirus and seven questions about sports. I'm going to do all seven of the coronavirus questions first, um, then going to do seven questions about sports after so if you're here and you only are here for the sports stuff, feel free to fast forward 10, 15 minutes. Um, uh, and we're going to then you know get all the COVID stuff out of the way. And then we're going to do all, all of our sports questions. So digging right in, a listener wants to know, Casey, are we getting any closer to phase three? Do you think phase one is still a possibility? Here's what's going on with COVID right now. Um and this is nationally. This is not just us, Louisiana. We're kind of following a national trend. I truly believe in my heart of hearts that this recent wave of COVID is now past its peak. And I think the numbers reflect that. Our hospitalizations in the state have gone down for two straight days. We've not seen anything like that um, for quite some time. 
Um, and as a whole, for really the past week or so, our hospitalizations have been trending downward again. That's tremendous. I mean, we've been in, in a bad place for a while, but to see that progress is tremendous. So to answer the question, uh, yes, I do think we're getting closer to phase three. But one thing to keep in mind is that we were just two, three weeks ago, miles away from phase three. And we've only made small steps forward um, since then. So we're still a ways away. But technically, some of the progresses that we've made in the last few weeks do make us closer to phase three than what we once were. So, yeah, we're getting closer. We're, we're starting to slowly see those pro you know that progress we're starting to slowly see that plateau and then that plateau is going to then start to slowly taper downward or at least in theory that's what it should do if you know if, if people continue to do the things they're supposed to do and, and the trends continue to be set the way that it looks like so i do think we're starting to see that progress i do think we're getting closer and to the last part of it do i think phase one is still a possibility uh becoming more and more distant each day to be honest um because if we didn't go there when we were at our worst two, three weeks ago, then I don't think we're going to go there now that things continue to trend in the right direction. Uh, so, you know, kudos uh, to our lawmakers for putting some of the restrictions in place and kudos to our people for cooperating and doing a pretty good job. Number two, are there signs that masking is working or are we just wasting our time? Well, this goes hand in hand with the last question is that, Okay, and people are going to get angry with this. I don't care. The numbers are the numbers, and I've said many times this, this virus is not an elephant nor a donkey. It doesn't have a reddish tint to it nor a bluish tint to it. It is what it is, and you could deny science until the cows come home, but you can't deny the fact that our numbers are starting to trend downward exactly 15 and 16 days after our mask mandate which they told us would take two weeks for us to see results. So for every goober out there who was fighting tooth and nail like a three-year-old child, throwing themselves on the ground saying they would never wear a mask and that they were trying to take our freedoms away, trying to take our rights away, all the different stupidity that was spewed all over Facebook, um, I now ask you all, what do you have to say about that? Because exactly two weeks in, our numbers are beginning to trend in the right direction. So maybe, just maybe, the people who have been going to school and have been studying this and have been working in this field for the past 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years know a little bit more about medicine than the plumber who has never studied it for a day in his life but who has an opinion about it, a real sharp opinion about it on Facebook. Maybe, just maybe, the doctor and the scientist and the people who are physically in the labs are not part of a conspiracy theory, but are just trying to protect their neighbors. Maybe, just maybe, it's the person who cannot spell properly nor use correct grammar on social media that is the moron and not the doctor who is in the field actively at work. Maybe, just maybe. Off on my tangent a little bit. Yes, the masking is working. Yes, we're seeing progress directly related to the masking. And everything that we're seeing from the last couple of weeks is due in large part to the masking. It's not the only tool, but it's a big tool. Every soldier that has a shield in battle is less likely to die. The masks are a shield against this virus, and it's protecting us every single day. Number three, do you think that we could safely reopen schools? Um, I do. I thought about this question. I usually don't look at the questions in advance, but I looked at, at this one here. And I thought about it because I don't want to give people a false sense of security, 
nor uh, do I want to steer people in the wrong direction. That's the last thing that I would ever want to do, especially when it comes to kids. I mean, I've got, I don't have any of my own, but I mean, I've got a, uh, a godson who's going to third grade, a nephew who's going to 10th grade, and cover student athletes of every grade and you know those people that are near and dear to me and I would not want anything to happen to any of these you know people that I'm connected with or affiliated with so after thinking about it I, I thought back first and foremost let me say I think that the plan in place in Lafouche Parish is wonderful I think that uh, Mr. Martin has done an excellent job and I think that our school system is woefully underappreciated uh, as a whole and they're going to make the best out of any situation that they're given. And when they're told to execute this plan, they're going to execute it as, as flawlessly as can be expected. Will there be setbacks? I have no doubt that they're probably going to be. Will there be people and students who test positive? I have no doubt that there probably is going to be. But here's my, my word of caution or optimism, I guess you could say, my my, my um my ray of sunshine at the end of you know sort of a cloudy day is that we now know that this virus was here in America in early 2020 and like we're talking January maybe even December 2019 we know it was here and we now know through antibody testing that a lot of the respiratory ailments and different things that a lot of people were complaining about last winter were actually COVID-19, some of the first cases in the state of Louisiana. And we know that Mardi Gras, which was before the shutdown, helped to make these problems far worse. We know that. that that's facts now. There was speculation at once. Antibody testing backs it up. We know that. that is, that's a fact. Um, at that time, so that gives us now two, you know, roughly two months of school where we were in school with no restrictions, with no protections, with no um, differences in, in how we operated, no masking, no distancing, no nothing. And like there were no children dropping like flies and dying and going to the hospital. There were no teachers being hospitalized and, and dying and dropping like flies. So we did it for two whole months without any restriction. So uh, that's not to say we should go back to doing it that way. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But m my whole point is that if we did it the wrong way for two months without having huge issues, then we can most certainly do it the right way going forward and not have any issues. So I think the children will be safe. I think the teachers will be safe. I think the plan in place is a terrific one. And yes, I do think you could send your, your child back to school safely. Though if you opt to do virtual or whatever it may be, more power to you. I'm not hating on you. Do whatever you got to do, whatever you feel is safest. Number four, what are your thoughts on the viral hydrochloroquine videos being pulled off the internet? Jesus Christ Almighty, I'm so tired of seeing those videos. Um, first and foremost, they're being pulled off the internet because the woman who is speaking in the video is a quack. Um, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to tell you that I am, but we don't know yet. And and. Uh, more studies need to be done. There are some studies that say it helps. There's some studies that say it doesn't. And that's because there's so much variance. Um, you know, some people may have certain experiences. Other people may have completely different experiences altogether. Um, so why, you know, would people arbitrarily believe one person's word over the next person's word whenever they're both, you know, trying to study or talk about the same thing? 
I think it comes down to people believe what they want to believe, and people want to believe that this drug is the greatest thing since sliced bread because the president thinks it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and Louisiana is a heavily Republican state. So because the president's backing it, you guys are all backing it, and I've become so loyal to to something that you don't know anything about. Do I hope that the, you know, the video is 100% truthful and that everything that she's saying is, is correct and that we have this magic cure? Yeah, that would be wonderful. We'd all be able to get back to life as normal. But do I think that that's a, an accurate snapshot depiction of reality? No, I don't. And I think that's the reason why the videos are being pulled off the internet because you can't give people a false sense of hope, a false sense of security, and a false sense of reality for something that's, that's just we don't know enough about yet to be able to go up on that limb and to be able to make those statements and to make those claims. Five. Give us some positive COVID news. Um, okay, sure. Um, our hospitalizations in Louisiana have dropped for two days in a row. Our percent positive has been under 10% now for several days. Those are two wonderful things. Nationally, our hospitalizations as a country are beginning to go down pretty drastically at that. Um, I think, as I said earlier in the segment, are the worst of this wave is is now i think behind us and i think um we're going to see now as we get closer and closer to uh a, a vaccine and closer and closer to natural immunity every wave is going to be less and less tall than the previous one the first wave was way up in the sky and, and we had periods where thousands of people were dying every day and hospitalizations were through the roof and our total cases were 10, 12, 15, 20, 25 times higher than what we ever realized because we didn't have adequate testing and we were only testing patients who had the most severe symptoms. Those days are now over. So um, our hospitalizations in this wave, knock on wood, are not going to be as high as they were the last time. We reached 2,100 in the first wave. Right now our peak is 1,600 and it's now beginning to trend back downward. So I think that what we're going to see is that each wave, each little crest is going to be smaller than the previous one. And we're going to continue to get this thing further and further under control as we learn more about it. Um, and as we get more research into how to treat it. And as we get more natural immunity and more and more people are kind of um, not able to catch it again, uh, which, which certainly helps. So those are some very positive things. You guys should be very happy and excited about all the things that we just said there. Those are very positive things. Number six, are our local hospitals overwhelmed? You hear different information about this. I'll say this. Um, our local hospitals are very um, fully stocked. There are a lot of patients there. But, and I got to preface this, it's a big but. Please don't misunderstand what I'm telling you. Um, it's not due to COVID. Like there are not, if there's, I'm just making a number up out of, out of the sky. If there's 500 beds at Thibodeau Regional and Thibodeau Regional has, you know, more full capacity today than what they did six weeks ago, it's not 100% due to COVID. You got to remember something. Our state is woefully, grossly unhealthy. And our hospitals are full all of the time. And that's, that's the, the one lesson that we all have to learn during this pandemic is that our hospitals are too full all of the time. And like the overwhelming majority of our hospitalized patients in Louisiana 
are not hospitalized with COVID, but are hospitalized with other things. So our hospitals, while yes, they may be getting fuller now than what they've been in, in many months, um, it's because there are so many people with other ailments that are occupying the beds that there's just no space. We were, we were unprepared for a pandemic because we're too full all of the time. So overwhelmed is probably a bad word. I would say no, they're not overwhelmed, but they are fuller than what they are comfortable with. And uh, curious to see in the coming days if, if we could get that a little bit further under control. Last COVID question, then we'll get to some sports. I thank you guys so much for your questions. Uh, just clear Casey at gmail.com if you guys want to ever send a question in the future. Last question for COVID is, will we be able to get the vaccine to LaFouche once it's released? That's a great question. That's a, a hugely critical question in the next couple of months as the vaccine gets closer and closer to being released. I actually spoke to Parish President Archie Chasson about this exact question, and he said yes. He said that there are already plans in place um, to work with the, the, the parish's team for vaccinations to secure it whenever it's released, get it here, and get it out to members of the public. So yes, that's already being thought, uh, thought about, talked about, and that is going to be something that's going to be a reality in short order whenever we get a vaccine that is approved and safe and is able to be consumed by members of the public. So now we move to, um, thanks so much, guys, for the, the, the COVID questions. We move now to sports questions. We've got seven of those. Uh, first sports question, and it is, we're one week into the MLB season. Who do you think is the best team in baseball? Um, <laughs> the MLB uh, season and schedule, man, has just been fascinating to me. Like, there's so much to pay attention to. There's so much, uh, so much drama, so much going on. I'll give you two. Um, I really am impressed with what the Twins are doing because they could just hit the ever-living crap out of the baseball. And whenever you could score seven, eight, nine runs a game, it puts such um, a, a, a amount of pressure on an opposing pitching staff. You're getting into bullpens. You're ravishing bullpens. And later in series is that gives you huge advantages because your pitching staff is more fresh than the opponents. And they have pretty good pitching, pretty deep pitching as well. So I'll give you the Twins. I really like them. I give you the Yankees, though I'd like to see a little bit more because they've been kind of shut down by COVID. And I'll give you the Rays, too. I, I, and I, maybe I'm just a little bit skewed because the Rays have been kicking the crap out of my Braves. But... They just have like what feels like a thousand arms, man. Like they'll, they'll throw their starter or they'll open the game with an opener. And then like every single person that they put into the game has an ERA of two and throws a hundred. And like they just have endless pitching and their offense is tremendous. I like, I think that they were a 96 win team last year. They've gotten better. They've gotten more experienced. And I think that not having crowd noise helps them because they're used to that, whereas other teams are kind of struggling to adjust to that. So they've got a natural built-in advantage to begin with. I think the Rays are a force to be reckoned with, and they're going to be one of the teams playing until the very end. Number two, a sleeper team to win the NBA championship. <sighs> this is a good question. This is a really, really good question because I think there are any number of teams who could win the NBA championship this season. Um, out east... I would say probably Toronto again, believe it or not. Like, they just play hard. They're scrappy. They, they're very efficient on offense, play good defense. I think Toronto's a sleeper team that no one's talking about that has a chance to make some real noise. Out west, um, 
I'm not going to be that guy and say Houston is that's my team of rooting interest. I think that the Dallas Mavericks are a sleeper out West. Um, again, for the same reasons as Toronto. Play hard, have depth. They get a good shot every time as they share the ball. Pretty good on defense, very well coached. Um, I, I, you know, If Dallas were 25 or 30 to 1 right now, I would take that in a heartbeat because I think that they're going to be in a position to make a lot of waves, make a lot of noise. you got Luka Doncic who could get hot for any given series and go off. You've got size you know, with Porzingis, and I think Dallas is, is kind of a sexy sleeper pick that no one's talking about that has a chance to win the NBA championship. Number three, will there be high school athletics played in the fall? Yes, I, I say that with hesitance, but I, I think the answer is yes. Now, will there be high school football played in the fall, which I think the question uh, is is most centered towards that because that's the quote-unquote big sport that everyone is so interested in. That one I would lean towards again saying yes, but I'm really not sure and I don't have a great deal of certainty about it. Um because we've got to be in phase four and we're so far away from that that it's hard to to kind of forecast that into the future, figure out when that may be a possibility. But uh, cross country, volleyball, you know, some of the other things, yes, I'm going to say that there will be some semblance of sports. It's not going to look the same. It's probably not going to be visually appealing to a lot of people and people are going to be complaining because it's not what they're used to, whatever it may be. Um, but yes, I do think there will be high school athletics in the fall. Number four, Casey, why do you like so many Texas pro sports teams? (laughs) Pretty good question, actually. Um, You know, it's funny, and I'm going to offend people saying this, but I don't don't give a rip because it's the truth. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan for two reasons. For one, it's because my dad's a fan, okay? So it it was just kind of passed on to me. But for two... As a kid, okay, I'm growing up. I was born in 1987. As a kid, my, my first foray into being a sports fan was in the early 90s the Cowboys were really good they had a lot of young talent whatever it may be and the Saints were piss poor terrible and for every single person out there who likes to say oh bro I was a member of the Hootat Nation for my whole life they're lying to you because they weren't there were so many fans in Louisiana who were off of that bandwagon and it's the reason why I'm a Cowboys fan because my entire childhood the Cowboys were always on TV because they were good a and B, the Saints wouldn't sell out their own damn home games, so they weren't on TV. So I didn't have exposure to see them. Um, so I saw what I liked, and I, you know, I, which was the Cowboys, and they were winning championships and doing great things. And you know, obviously, the the roles have since you know reversed, and New Orleans has become a very prominent NFL franchise. But this idea that they've always had this hootat nation and this wonderful following is just an outright lie. Uh, I was I was a kid in the 1990s. They were never sold out never on television for home games because of it. And that's the reason why I'm a Cowboys fan as heavily as I am. Now for the Houston Rockets, um, I was trying to do the right thing with the Houston Rockets. I was, I was uh, growing up at a time where there were New Orleans, there was no New Orleans Pelicans or New Orleans Hornets, whatever it may be. And the Rockets were the closest team to home. So, you know, that was the team that I kind of chose and and admittedly, uh, as a kid, um, I also was a big fan of the Orlando Magic. Uh, but the Rockets were, at one time, the closest team to home. So that was just a team of rooting interest. And whenever you develop old habits, they die hard. So whenever the New Orleans team came in town and moved into the Rockets division, 
Like I ain't gonna just abandon the team that I, you know, was purchased hundreds of dollars worth of gear for for a New Orleans team that was at the time owned by George Shin, who's a cheapskate and we're very poorly run. Like I'm not gonna abandon what I know for something that is is not very good. I'm just not going to. Um, and then you know, old habits die hard. I'm gonna always be a Rockets fan. I don't wish ill onto the Pelicans, but I'm always gonna be a Rockets fan. That's just what it is. What it is. Number five. A great question, by the way. I love explaining stories like that, and I love to hear, you know, I always love to hear why people root for certain people or certain teams or whatever. So for me to be able to give a little insight into kind of my story, quote unquote, was was a little bit fun. Number five, Ed Ogeron was hot today about the team's defense. Do you really think it'll be better? I give Ed Ogeron so much credit for the things that he said in the last couple of days about the LSU defense. Because for two or three years now, I have been alone on the island of saying that Dave Aranda was the most overrated college football assistant coach in the history of the sport. So many people were heaping so much praise onto the guy. Oh my God, he's such an amazing coordinator. Oh my God, dude, the LSU defense is so well coached. Oh my God, dude, they've got this guy. He's amazing. And it nothing just added, like none of it added up because... He was being paid at a level as the highest paid coordinator in the history of the sport and was not getting any more productivity out of his guys than Will Muschamp got, than Bo Pelini used to get, than even John freaking Chavis used to get. And like last year, the LSU defense was just outright bad for most of the year. Like they were in the 40s in total defense for most of the season and the bottom half of the SEC for most of the season. And every single one of the excuses that Aranda guy would make was, oh, bro, dude, they play more possession, so the defense doesn't have a chance to rest. That doesn't explain why they're awful in the first quarter of games every bit as much as they are in the fourth quarter of games. Uh, there was just no scheme. It was so easy to predict what they were going to do, but all they did was play base defense and the concept being, well, we're going to let our talent make plays. Well, guess what? There are some other pretty talented teams in the SEC. There are some other pretty talented coaches in the SEC. And you can't just sit back and do nothing. We were paying, and I say we like I'm a part of the LSU team. I guess as a graduate, I'm part of the the, the, the quote-unquote family. But LSU was paying that man more than $2 million a year to play base defense all year long. I would like to see a little more creativity. I'd like to see a little bit more of some exotic sets when you're the highest paid coordinator in the history of the sport. They weren't getting the bang for their buck. Bo Pelini is going to come in and do a better job from day one than Dave Aranda has ever done at LSU. And I will go out on a limb and guarantee that LSU is going to be better in total defense this coming season than they were last season. And that's while fielding a defense this season that has less talent than last year's defense did. I guarantee you that'll be the case. I covered Bo Pelini when I was at LSU. LSU was in the top five in total defense every single season he was there. The guy is an elite level defensive coordinator, whereas Aranda was just, yeah, he was okay, but he was being paid at an elite level and wasn't earning his keep. So yes, I love what Ed Ogeron was saying. I do agree with it. And I think it was unexcusable and, and, and frankly unacceptable how bad LSU's defense was last year. And it would have become... You know, imagine that defense with the old LSU offense. Imagine the complaining that people would have been doing if they were losing games because they couldn't score enough points. It didn't end up mattering because they had the Herculean offense of all Herculean offenses. So they got a pass, but Baylor got a lemon.
Baylor got a lemon, I, and you hate to see it. And whenever I say you hate to see it, I say that very sarcastically because he flirted with every job and held LSU hostage every offseason to get more money. Now he's got his opportunity to lead his program, and he's going to be a coordinator again in another couple of seasons because it ain't going to work. It just ain't going to work. Number six, Mike Tyson or Roy Jones, who you got? This one's easy for me. I mean, I, I've been a Mike Tyson guy my whole life. I think Roy Jones is, while incredible, I think he's punch drunk. I mean, he's been fighting nobodies for the last couple of years and, and getting by and, and struggling at times, getting knocked out at times. I think Mike Tyson hasn't taken a significant blow in a long time. He's been gotten, getting stronger. I don't think he's mentally as frail uh, in the, the, the chin as Roy is. I think Mike's going to beat him up. I think Mike's going to beat him up pretty bad. Uh, there's going to be an element of ring rust there, no doubt about it. It's going to take a little while. Probably not going to be the prettiest fight in the world, but I think Mike's going to beat him up. Last sports question. This has been fun. This, this Usually the segments kind of drag a little bit as I'm talking through and plowing through topic to topic to topic. This has been a fun 30 minutes. It feels like I started this five minutes ago and we're already almost 30 minutes in. What is the best sports video game of all time? Um... This is tough for me, man. This is tough because I grew up in the old NBA Live. Like some of the old school PlayStation 1 NBA Live games were really good. Like not Live 97, Live 98. Those games were really good. And then obviously you get older and it evolves and Live became extinct and 2K kind of took over. And some of those early 2K games were really, really good. And now it's kind of become a little bit more stale. Um... But I'm going to go with the MLB The Show series because that game is like consistently really good, consistently really realistic, and it's it's just addicting, man. <laughs> like, I don't have any other way to say it. It's addicting. Like, I will play that game, I will start a career, and I'll just lose myself in it, and I'll play it for just hours and, like, realize... You know, I'll set aside 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you know, an hour uh, to play. And then by the time I realize it, like I'm two and a half, three hours in and like just will have a moment where I'll say, well, where the hell is the time gone? And you just lose yourself. It becomes a vacuum. It takes you in. And I will say that any of the more recent renditions of MLB, the show is the answer because such a good game, such a quality game, so much fun. And, um, kudos to the makers and so much uh so much talent goes into to to making a game like that that's so realistic and, and it just sucks you in just clarecasey at gmail.com if you got any questions for me i thank you guys so much you provided me with 14 questions and hopefully 30 minutes worth of answers and entertainment for everybody so kudos to you all for participating and allowing us to have uh, kind of a new wrinkle a different look um, to our show and to what we're doing. So we're going to catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to wrap up with a sports uh, segment where we're going to talk about all of the things that are happening in the world uh, of sports. There, There's a lot going on. Uh, we, we did this show for two, three months with not a whole lot going on. Now we're doing this show with a lot going on. So we're going to tackle it one at a time, NBA, MLB, high school, uh, sports vetting blitz, all that and more in the next segment of the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Hey, it's me again. And usually commercials are a time where 
you're selling a product or promoting something that you're doing within your workspace, forget about that. That's not what this commercial's for. This commercial is from me to you, our wonderful readers at the Lafouche Gazette and our wonderful listeners to this podcast. I want to send my sincerest thanks to every single one of you who has reached out during the pandemic, who has called or texted to see how we were doing, to give us kudos on our work, to give us thanks and you know all the different things that we've been doing. It means so much. So from the bottom of my heart, I tell you guys also, just like you're always thanking us, we thank you for reading our product, for consuming our podcast, and for giving us the ability to go into your living rooms with our news. We try our best every single day. We have a wonderful staff and a wonderful team, and it's our absolute pleasure to serve the people of Lafouche Parish. God bless you all, and keep listening and keep reading LafoucheGazette.com. Mike Beetle. Thanks to everybody at home for sending in your questions. Um, I actually got some breaking news here that is just breaking here at Wednesday, 4 o'clock. Uh, and it, it, it feeds perfectly into the, the kind of lead off of what we're going to do here to begin our sports segment. Um, Dodgers reliever Joe Kelly has been suspended for eight games for throwing behind Alex Bregman yesterday and then taunting Carlos Correa. Um, Yesterday's Astros and Dodgers game was wild, man. <laughs> um, all this build up and anticipation, and um, I was wrong. I, I said that you know they, they wouldn't go after the 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 uh, Astro players because of the fear of punishment. Well, it turns out the Dodgers went after them pretty hard yesterday and and kicked their ass on the field to boot, which I think is is even better. Um, the lack of punishment to Astros players is deplorable. It represents a lack of leadership from the MLB. It, la- it represents a cowardice from MLB leadership. Those guys cheated. This is a sport where the precedent has been set, whether right or wrong. If you cheat in any form or fashion, you're disbanded from Hall of Fame consideration forever. Barry Bonds and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and all these guys are not able to be in the Hall of Fame because they quote unquote cheated, right? Uh, well, why is it that you know these Astro guys? who are far more flagrant in their cheating than you know any of those steroid guys were because they actually gained a competitive advantage in terms of knowing the pitch and all the different things. They weren't punished at all. So now Joe Kelly is facing an eight-game suspension, which as a reliever, and you multiply that forward into a 162-game season, that would be like a 22-game suspension. That is absolutely ridiculous. Um, suspend them a game or two you know, just to kind of said the precedent, hey, you can't, you know, tee off on the Astros. I understand you got to protect the players in some form or fashion. Um, but suspending a guy for eight games in a 60-game season when you're not, you've not done anything to punish the actual players on the other side that are the reason why uh, these guys are being thrown at. They're like, you got to, 
what the MLB should have done from the very beginning, you suspend Bregman, you, you suspend Altuve, you suspend some of the other wrongdoers, and yeah, it would paralyze the Astros for a season, but who gives a bleep? It would have then been over with. But by leaving this door open, now you're going to see more and more of this, and, and it's going to continue to be an issue, and it's going to continue to, quite frankly, give negative publicity to the sport at a time when they need it, because there are a lot of folks who... While there are some pieces of the population who are you know, turned on by this, yeah, I want to see a baseball fight. There are other people who think that this is barbaric and that this is not the right way that the game should be played. I mean, if you hit a guy in the head, you may kill him. Uh, like, so I, I'm not for hitting anybody, but I'm also you know, for justice and equity. And, and the Astros should have been punished, just like you know the Dodger players who hit these guys should have been punished. But it all starts with the... First act, which is the MLB should have penalized the Astros heavily and severely and punished those players, suspended those players, and this would have all been over with. And their failure to do that shows just an incredible lack of leadership, which is very consistent, quite frankly, for the sport of Major League Baseball. Speaking of a lack of leadership and uh, and some of the other things that are going on in Major League Baseball, we've had a problem in the last couple of days with their reopening involving the Miami Marlins. Though I do think baseball gets a little bit of a pass here because it turns out that the Miami Marlins, according to social media rumors and uh, innuendo, are just um, morons, quite frankly. Um, Now more than 10 Miami Marlins players have tested positive for COVID-19. And you're saying to yourself, well, well, Casey, why are are they morons? It's not their fault they got COVID-19. Well, Every single other team in the league has been passing every single one of their tests with just small scattered incidents here or there. So what was different with the Marlins? There's a rumor on Twitter going about that the Marlins were seen in a strip club in Atlanta during the buildup to facing the Atlanta Braves in two exhibition games last season, uh, last week rather, uh, before the start of the season. So the the heavy rumor on the streets right now is that the Marlins contracted this in Atlanta while in a strip club the night before playing an exhibition game against the Braves, which would make sense. If they caught it from Braves players, then the Braves would have had some positives, which they have not in recent weeks. So, you know, while it may look like, hey, there's this this stain on baseball and we can't reopen and we can't play games and this is going to be a disaster and a nightmare, well... If people just do what they're being coached to do, then maybe it's not going to be such a bad thing. And the Marlins apparently didn't do that. They made one wrong decision, and now the rest of their season is going to be in big trouble because of it. Because now they're already not very good, and now a lot of their team is going to be sidelined because of these ailments. And quite frankly, it puts every other team on their schedule at a disadvantage. The Phillies were about to play these guys. Now they're going to have to push that back, and that'll mess up the rest of the Phillies' schedule, and it selfishness that is going to mess up the rest of the competitive uh, balance and the entire rest of the schedule. Um, Shameful of the Marlins, but considering the Bush League um, type organization that they've been in the last several years, hitting Ronald Acuna several times for no apparent reason other than the fact that they were upset that he was hitting too many home runs against them, um, continually hitting him because of that. Uh, just shows that they're not a very good franchise, not a very good organization anyway. So I would expect nothing less. Uh, wish full recoveries onto all the players who have tested positive, but hope nothing but the worst for them on the field whenever they resume to action. Hopefully they get their brains kicked in for the entire rest of the season. 
Um, but I root for that on any other, <laughs> any, any given season anyway. So uh, not a real big change there. The NBA is going to reopen its doors tomorrow. This is like Christmas Eve for me. I'm a huge basketball fan. I'm so very excited. Cannot wait to get these games back rolling again. We're going to have two games tomorrow. The Utah Jazz against the New Orleans Pelicans and then the Lakers and the Clippers. Uh, Both games will be on TNT. The Pelicans start at 5.30. The Clippers and Lakers at 8. couple of things of note. Um... There are not going to be any uh, late night, 9.30, 10 o'clock tip-offs for the rest of the NBA season. Uh, And that's because Orlando's in the Eastern time zone. Like you start a game at 9.30, 10 o'clock in that time zone, you're you're almost starting the game at midnight over there. Um, So, you know, we're not going to see any late night tip-offs, which I think will be good for a lot of fans who like to watch the games and, you know, catch them all before they have to go to bed. Um, another thing of note, there's going to be NBA on throughout the day, you know, whenever they really get roaring, you know, next week, you're going to have days where there's going to be games on at one 2 o'clock in the afternoon on weekdays. So there's going to be a lot of basketball available and it has to be that way because they're just, they're lost for time. They've got to get in eight regular season games for all the teams in the bubble and then start the playoffs and they're lost for time. So they got to play throughout the day whenever they get a chance. Now I'm so excited to see. So much about the reopening. Um, I'm so excited to see how my Rockets look, you know, playing their small ball. I think the James Harden has looked great in the two scrimmages. Losing Eric Gordon hurts. From the Pelicans' perspective, can Zion Williamson lead the team to the eighth seed? I I have my doubts. I think that they're farther away from the eighth seed than a lot of people realize in the standings. Um, but, you know, I'm curious to see how it goes. I think tomorrow's game with Utah is going to be huge. Huge for New Orleans. Can they win that one and set themselves up on good footing and try to build some momentum um, You know, going forward? If they win tomorrow, they're going to be favored than probably the rest of the games the rest of the way. Um, outside of the second, the, the first two games, they'll be underdogs. Then after that, the next six games, they'll be favored. So they, if they could set themselves up on the right footing and get that win, get out of the shoots, you know, going you know, full throttle, then look out. Um, but if they, you know, they stumble, then they become behind the eight ball of some of the other teams chasing the nine seed or the eight seed and all bets are off. And the reality is this is a young team that's not been through, you know, that kind of that playoff chase together before there's going to be some pressures there. And I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. I don't, I wish that I could say otherwise I don't. Um, but I think it's going to be awfully exciting to watch and I can't wait to see how it all unfolds, um, in the Eastern conference. Uh, I want to see can anybody beat the Bucks. I'm not sold on the Bucks. If you if you defend the Bucks with good high level NBA defense, they wilt. They wilt time and time again. We've seen it every year that Giannis has been there, and Giannis is the media darling, and everybody loves him, and he's going to win MVP again, even though he didn't deserve it last year. He probably doesn't deserve it this year. He's the media darling, and he gets all the accolades and everything of that sort. But he wilted last year in the playoffs. When the going got tough, he got locked up by Kawhi Leonard in Toronto. They had a big lead in that series. Everything was going their way. And then they got creamed. They lost four straight. He didn't make a big impact in any of the final four games of the series. So curious to see how they hold up from there. They look like a team that could bully bad teams but struggle against the most elite teams. That was kind of their MO at the beginning of this regular season. Who's their second option? Does anybody trust that um, Eric Bledsoe is going to be a second option on an NBA championship winning team? I don't believe that. Um, 
Brooke Lopez is a wonderful, you know, talent. He's, he's uh, revitalized his career to the umpteenth degree. But when teams go small, will he be able to stay on the court? Will he consistently make three-point jump shots? I don't know the answer to that. So that that remains to be seen. And I guess more importantly is out east. Can anybody else realistically beat him anyway? I talked up Toronto in the last segment. Do they have enough talent to do it? Yeah, I don't know. Philadelphia, um, as long as Embiid and Ben Simmons are the two driving forces behind that team, they're not going anywhere. Uh, that's that, There's two losers at the head of that equation. Uh, they're not going anywhere. Um, Boston, is Boston ready to make that leap? I, I don't know. Sometimes they look pretty good. Sometimes they don't. Uh, Miami, can they pull it off? Yeah, I don't know. So that's one of the things about the East is that I don't think anybody believes in Milwaukee, but I don't think anybody anybody believes in any of the teams chasing them. So the, the playoffs there is going to be some intrigue, but it, it may end up being a little bit of a pillow fight before it's all said and done. Um, so just the, the overall intrigue of, you know, out West seeding, um, from number three seed to number seven seed, there's only a separation of four games. Like from the perspective of my Rockets, they're the sixth seed right now, but they're two and a half games away from being the three seed. They're four games away from being the two seed. Or they could fall out of the sixth seed entirely and be the seven seed. Dallas could catch them because they're only one and a half games up on them. And that's the first team that they play out of the shoot when the eight-game bubble starts. So there's so much to follow, so much to pay attention to. I will be glued to it from start to finish. Addy, if you're listening, Addy being our publisher at the Lafouche Gazette, I apologize in advance. I'm not going to be overly productive for the next several weeks because I'm going to be watching the NBA. Um, apologies in advance, I guess. I'll schedule vacation days if I need to, and obviously I'm kidding. Um, so that's our NBA. We can't wait. We're going to make some picks on tomorrow's two games against the, sp- against the spread in our betting blitz. Um, but before we get into our betting blitz, we want to talk about some things that are going on in Louisiana high school athletics that I think are, uh, are worth talking about. Uh, the first thing is the LHSA is continuing to say, um, hey, we're going to play. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, you know, and prior to the last couple of days, there was no set concrete plan for what was going to exactly happen. But now... Kudos to them. They have they have given us a plan going forward. The association has come out and said that on August the 3rd, fall camps will be able to, to, to start for the upcoming season. And this is going to be four days before the governor's decision about uh, whether we'll go into phase three or whatever it may be. The governor's going to make that decision. His, his current order for phase three expires on August the 7th. Uh, but they're going to allow camps to reopen. And basically, you know, you're going to be able to do a lot of the stuff that you have normally been able to do in the past. You'll be able to, you know, helmet and shards um, kind of thing, work on ball handling drills, work on conditioning, no contact. And then you'll kind of build up towards the next phase, which will be uh, doing more drills and hitting dummies and you know different things like that, but still no contact. Um, the LHSA has not given a date for when contact will be allowed, and I think that's the general theme here. And I'm going to touch on two aspects of this now. Is the first thing is if you're a parent and you're reading this, I, I think so many people have misunderstood what's being said here, and they're reading this and they're saying, 
yippee high school football is going to be back and you know we're going to be playing and everything's going to be on schedule and the state is in the lhsa is you know sticking a thumb to the state and saying we're going forward you it no that's not what they're doing at all um they have clearly put in their reopening plan that contact and actual practices and preparations for games is not allowed and is not going to be allowed for quite some time if at all is they have very also clearly said that there may not be a season. So we've got to continue to pay attention to the phases that we're in in economic reopening because we cannot practice or play games until we're into phases three and phases four. And phase four is defined by uh, multiple weeks of progress in phase three. So you do the math here. If we're in phase two until August the 7th, And I think that most people kind of agree that even on August the 7th, we're still not going to be fully ready to go forward. So let's say we're in phase two until August the 15th, just the middle of the month, just to throw an arbitrary date out there. So then that means the way that the governor has been doing it, we would move into, let's just say, August uh, the 16th, we would start phase three. Um, So that would mean that we would have then three weeks after that to get into phase four, which would put us into September. And that's when we would just be approaching the period where we would be able to start practicing and start thinking about games. That's not even the the time that's going to be necessary for teams to get ready and to learn their playbooks and to get conditioned and everything of that sort. And folks, there are some school districts who are not allowing uh school until September. So you mean to tell me that those school districts will then say, hey, it's not safe for us to go to school, but it's safe for our kids to practice tackle football. Um, So I don't anticipate very many of those school districts saying that because it'd be a very hypocritical and quite frankly, ludicrous statement to make. So that means we've got a lot of teams in the state who are not even going to be approaching the practice field until September. Like what I'm getting at is though they continue to say, Hey, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this and continue to say, we're committed to this, this, this. We're still very far away from getting on the field on Friday nights and getting to game action. I wish that that were different. I wish that I didn't have to say that. I wish that I didn't have to throw cold water into the faces of all your momentum. But it's just a reality. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you otherwise. We're just a long, long ways away. Um, Hopefully getting closer every day. Uh, But we're still a long ways away from even the thought of will we play games. That's, That's still very far away. And then even then, let's say we're we're there in early October. What happens? Um, do we push back the start of basketball or do we shorten the football season? Is there a second wave whenever the temperatures cool down? Like there's so much of there's so many weeds and obstacles and, and, and hurdles that we've got to climb before we could get to that point. I applaud the LHSA for giving us a plan, but I just want people to realize and understand that the things that they're going to be doing are very low-level things in terms of getting ready for a season. You know, doing a center quarterback exchange and then practicing a handoff is not in any way, shape, or form getting ready for a season. Having small groups of 25 kids together to run and jog and get light conditioning 
is not in any way, shape, or form getting ready for a season. And one thing that I think also needs to be emphasized, and I touched on this yesterday in a column, is that the association has to understand and realize that they've got to be very um, conservative with how they reopen this thing because there are going to be some school districts that are far different than others. There are going to be some private schools that are going to be approached far different than others. There are going to be some programs who are going to be more obsessed with winning than others that they're going to right away dive in, whereas other teams are going to be more cautious in their approach and have may have been locked out of lockouts for the summer and they may be way behind. And you can't then ask School A that has never been shut down and that was probably breaking the rules during the quarantine and meeting anyway to then face School B, which has been doing it the right way, not in a contact sport. You'd get a kid severely hurt. Like, that's not the right way forward. I I want football as much as anybody, but I want football safely. I want football in a way that is not going to get a 16- or 17-year-old child severely injured. Like, the whole goal of doing this um, safely is to, to fight off COVID and to keep our athletes safe. But I don't want there to be such an enthusiasm to play that we end up breaking somebody's neck because of it. So let be safe, be cautious. And I think the association will. But I just wanted to stress that today is that like, I don't think we're playing football in, in late August and early September. We're going to need a lot of time to make up for lost time before we could get this thing back rolling. Couple of things. Um, we got our our usual golf picks. I missed out last week on my golf picks. I just recorded too late. Shame on me. Didn't get a chance uh, to to give my picks. So we missed out on that opportunity, and we missed the uh, the tournament on tour that that was played, which was the uh, 3M Open. Michael Thompson was the champion there. Congratulations to Michael for winning that title. Now we move forward to the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational in Memphis, Tennessee. Brooks Kepka is the defending champion. Uh, this is a WGC event, so it means it's going to be only the best of the best. We're going to have a loaded field. Some of the best players in the world are going to be playing in this one, which makes it even more hard for me to pick a sleeper when you got a WGC field where you know everyone is amongst the top players in, in the world in their, respective, uh, in their respective right. But we're going to do so anyway. So... Our, uh, our shark this week, which is defined again by uh, the player who is uh, a name brand player who we think is going to play very, very well in the tournament this coming week. For our shark this week, we go with Webb Simpson. Uh, Webb Simpson's just steady, man. Just steady player. Very, very good. Very solid. He's always near the lead. He's always, you know, near the first, second page of the leaderboard. Very steady player. I'm going to go Webb Simpson. He is 22 to one to win this week. Uh, give me Webb as my, my shark, as my sleeper this week. Let me look through the list. My sleeper. I'm going to go. And again, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a sleeper because this is a a WGC event, uh, everybody's good. But the my sleeper this week, give me, give me Matt Kuchar. Matt Kuchar sixty six to one. Um, but Kuchar hits his irons really well. He's very accurate and like he's a steady player. WGC events tend to be on more difficult golf courses, so I think that Kuch 
uh, is more likely to perform well on an in an event like that as opposed to some of the events where you got to make a million birdies to stay afloat. So I think Kuchar's a good sleeper for this week. And our champion for this week, I'm going to go with Rory McIlroy to win this week. Rory has been playing pretty well. And when he's on, he's he's really, really on. I think Rory's going to be in strong contention at the PGA in a couple of weeks. And I think he's going to jumpstart that, that candidacy by uh, winning this week at the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational, which I'm looking forward to watching. The field is loaded, and I can't wait to see how it all plays out. So we move to our betting blitz, and then we're going to talk some WWE before wrapping up. We like to talk WWE last um, because it allows folks who aren't into wrestling to just cut off the show and, and end it right there. Um, our sports betting blitz, our next two teams in our betting blitz are going to be divisional rivals. We now got the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers. So let's pull it up here. I haven't even looked at these today. We've got, uh, let's find Detroit on the list here. Detroit Lions over under six and a half. Oh, God, I don't think the Lions are any good, and I don't think the Lions are well coached. So let me pull up the Lions' schedule before we make a big mistake here and give them an under whenever they have a really easy schedule. Let's see. Six and a half. So they've got to win seven to get in. The Lions are playing a, a tough division schedule because I think the Vikings are good. I think that, that Green Bay is good, and I think the Bears are serviceable. Uh, they're playing... The South, which has the Texans and the Titans and the Colts, which are all pretty good. So that makes it a little more difficult. And the easy game, the quote-unquote easy game, is Jacksonville, and that's on the road. So that becomes more difficult. And they're playing the, the NFC South, which is the Saints division, which is brutal. So I'm going to go under, and I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I think it may be way under. Um Having Matt Stafford back is obviously going to help, but Matt Patricia is a dunce. Um, so I think they're going to be poorly coached. And when you got to play a tough division schedule and you got to play a tough um, cross-conference division and you got to play a tough interconference division in, in the NFC South, you're going to be in for a world of hurt, man. And I think that this is going to be under. I think it's going to be way under. I don't think they're going to be near six and a half I could see four or five wins for the Lions I think they're gonna struggle pretty mightily for Green Bay the next team on our list it is over under nine um Green Bay of course will have the same challenges as Detroit because they're going to be playing the same divisions as Detroit in terms of AFC South and NFC South um they're going to be playing a little more difficult schedule in terms of a second place or excuse me in terms of a first place schedule as opposed to Detroit will be playing uh, you know, further on down the line. But I think Green Bay is going to be in good shape. Um, oh, I don't know, though, man. You look at that they've got, this is a murderous row. At New Orleans, at Houston, at San Francisco, at Indianapolis. <sighs> I'm going to say over. I'm going to say over. You can hear the pain in my voice as I'm saying it. I'm going to say over uh, because I think Aaron Rodgers is going to be highly motivated, highly angry, highly upset. You know, they drafted another quarterback and didn't give him help. And so I think that they're going to get the absolute best version of Aaron Rodgers possible. And I'm going to go over. But I don't say that with very much confidence, man, because that division's tough. Their schedule is just bleeping brutal. 
Uh, so I'm going to go over for Green Bay, over 9. But I could easily see 8-8. Eight and eight. I could easily see it being a push and being 9-7. and seven. I'll, I'll go 10-6, and six, but I say that very, very reluctantly. Two NBA picks in our sports betting blitz. We're going to pick both of the games tomorrow against the spread. We've got the Utah Jazz against the New Orleans Pelicans. First and foremost, this game should be played for the title of Jazz because that should be the name of the basketball franchise here in New Orleans. There is no jazz music in Utah, um, but that's a whole nother show for another day. The Pelicans are a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm going to go Utah in this one. I'm going to take Utah and the points. I think Utah is going to win outright. I think that the Pelicans, though they have looked tremendous in the pre-season um, build and the scrimmages and everything of that sort, I remind you that this team was also undefeated in the preseason originally and then started the season just awful. Um, I think Zion Williamson is going to be a little bit out of sync, a little bit out of sorts because he hadn't played in a while because of his uh, being taken away from the, the, the bubble. So I think Utah is going to win this one outright. I think it would be a good game, competitive game. If you're looking for over or under, it's 223.5. I go way over. I think it's going to be a shootout. But give me Utah to win a shootout in this one. Uh, but go Pels. I hope I'm wrong. I, I admittedly hope I'm wrong. I hope that they beat Utah for a couple of reasons. A, I like the Pelicans more than I like the Jazz. B, the Jazz losing directly benefits the Houston Rock, the Houston Rockets. So go Pels. I hope they win that one. Second game, the nightcap, 8 o'clock, TNT, the Clippers and the Lakers. The Lakers are favored by four uh, over under 216.5. I'm going to go Clippers here. Um because I think that this game just means more to the Clippers than it does to the Lakers. Um, the Lakers are already talking about Anthony Davis' game time decision because he got poked in the eye or whatever it may be. And, like, folks, the Lakers got the one seed cinched. Like, there are eight games to play. They have a five-and-a-half game lead. The Lakers are going to be the one seed. But the Clippers are not assuredly going to be the two seed. They've got to actually physically win games to keep their seed so I think it means more to them. And I think because of that, they're going to have a little extra oomph. And I think that they just have the depth of wings to throw at LeBron James. They've got Kawhi and Paul George, and their length is going to disrupt the Lakers enough that I like the Clippers outright, even as the dog here. Um, so give me the Clippers and give me, again, the over here, 216.5. I go over but I'm not overly sure about that one. I do feel great about the over in the Pelicans game. Don't feel great about it in the Clippers-Lakers game. I'm just throwing that one out there just to have fun. But give me the Clippers plus four to defeat the Lakers outright tomorrow in the NBA Orlando bubble. So now we move to some professional wrestling and uh, the the um, talk of wrestling right now is is what's been going on on Monday Night Raw and all the different madness and all the different things that happened on Monday Night Raw. We learned more about the storylines and we learned more about uh, some of the things that are going to be taking place at SummerSlam, which is going to be the next big pay-per-view. And we've got kind of an idea of where things are headed. This is not going to be as long of a wrestling update as we sometimes do because we're still a long ways away from SummerSlam. So we don't necessarily know, um, you know exactly what the full card is going to be. Uh, first thing, you know, kind of break down SummerSlam a little bit. We have the Street Profits taking on Andrade and Angel Garza. 
Um, I have expressed my um, my enjoyment of watching Andrade and Angel Garza. I think the old school wrestling method of having bad guys attached to a manager, I think that works. And I think the ongoing tension between the two is riveting. I think it's exciting. I think that'll be a great match. I think that it, they could work. I think it's exciting. And um, I'm not going to pick it yet. It's still so far away. But I do think that's a good start and a wonderful undercard match that could potentially steal the show on a high-level WWE pay-per-view like SummerSlam. And then, quote-unquote, the the main event, I guess, has already been announced. That'll be Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton. Um, I, I've never been more wrong on something than, than Randy Orton. Like, I was so... But you know what? I say that, and, and I've never been more wrong, but in, in many ways, I've never been more right. Because when they were doing the build of, of he and Edge, I was very critical because I said, hey, I don't know if this dude's a heel or a face. Like, he wants to be a heel, but his finishing move is over, so fans cheer him, and he doesn't have an identity. Well, I even said, and I could go find it in the archives, I said that I really liked what he was doing when he was just an, an outright nasty bad guy. And he's gotten back to being an outright nasty bad guy. He's gotten right back to being the legend killer, and and, and Randy Orton will now be taking on Drew McIntyre for the WWE Championship. Um, I think Drew McIntyre is a great champion, and I think that the reason why this one has me excited is because of all the reasons um, why I wasn't excited about McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler is because I don't have a clue who's going to win. Like, I could realistically see Drew going over and staying strong and building towards a future feud. Or I could realistically see Randy Orton being the most hot wrestler in the world right now and getting the title and being just this big badass who's punting everybody in the head and beating everybody and drawing heat and everything like that. I could see that being the direction that they want to go as well. This is going to be a stiff match, man. These guys are going to beat the ever-living crap out of one another. It's going to be exciting to see. And I think that they're capable, Randy Orton's capable of working with bigger guys or smaller guys. McIntyre is capable of selling for guys that are a little smaller than him like Randy Orton is and I'm excited to see this this is going to be a very good match and a very good main event to a very big pay-per-view it's going to be Drew McIntyre's first big test as WWE champion his first test that he's legitimately quote-unquote in danger of losing uh, as I think all fans understood that they weren't going to take the belt off of him this early after beating Brock Lesnar And I think that it's going to be incredibly exciting to see where this one goes. And as a wrestling fan, all you could ask for is uncertainty and good story. And this one has a little bit of both. Um, Now, the next kind of domino that needs to fall is what's going to happen with the women uh, at SummerSlam. Are we going to see a tag team title defense between Bayley and Sasha Banks? Are we going to see them both lined up in individual competitions? Um defending their respective titles. The Bailey sasha Banks thing, I'm not going to harp on it because I've already expressed my uh, full support and approval of the booking and everything that's happening. Those are the two best women's wrestlers in the world right now. They deserve to have all the belts, and their story is the most entertaining story in all of wrestling, any brand right now. And the getting the title on Sasha Banks Monday uh, was done very well. It was classic heel, chicken shit stuff. You know, 
Bailey's beating the heck out of, you know, the uh, uh, Oscar's pal and goes and runs to her defense and gets counted out. And the chicken shit heel, Sasha Banks, wins the championship while getting her butt kicked in the middle of the ring. That's classic heel stuff. That's 1980s, 1990s, old school wrestling heel stuff. And the the constant interference and drawing heat. And like, I really believe that there were, if there were fans in the arenas right now, Bailey and Sasha would be the most over heels in the company that we'd seen in a long, long time. They'd be getting booed out of buildings. And I think that, that the fans would have so much respect for the, the talents and the things that they're doing. So I'm so curious to see where they go with their SummerSlam feuds. But not a whole lot of wrestling going on. We're still kind of transitioning from one pay-per-view to the next. I just wanted to kind of give a pulse of where we stood. I know people like our wrestling talk. Some of them don't. Uh, so that's just kind of where we are. Uh, we're going to wrap up right here. I thank Mustang Mike Beetle for his time. He was very generous. Gave us some great stories. Gave us some great insight. Uh, we've got some big fish that we've got hooked for future episodes. So uh, stay abreast of some of the things that we've got going on. And as always, just enjoy yourselves, man. Watch some of these NBA games. Watch some of these MLB games and, and find a way to escape some of the things that are going on in the world. It's been so good for me the last couple of days to kind of have that diversion. And I encourage you guys to take advantage of it as well as I am. We're going to sign off right here. We're going to look to get back at it on uh, over the weekend with another show. So keep it right here on LaFouche Gazette.com. God bless everybody. Have a great rest of the week. <laughs>